It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes. A man's wisdom gives him much patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offence. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favour is like the dew on the grass. A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. He who obeys instructions guards his soul, but he who is contemptuous of his ways will die. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. There are many plans in the heart of man, but is the Lord's purpose that prevails. What a man desires is unfailing love, better to be poor than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Flog a mocker and simple and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke a discerning man, and he will gain knowledge. He who robs his father and drives out his mother is a son who brings disgrace and shame. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the backs. The second reading is from Colossians 3. We're reading from verse 10 to the first verse of chapter 4. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in name or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents 
in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win favour, but with the sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, thank you so much, Liz, for reading for us. And uh, great to hear about Women's Day yesterday. Um, uh, I'm really thankful to Anne and to everyone who worked with her for helping to organise the day. Uh, from what I could see, it was excellent. And it is really wonderful to be with you again uh, this morning, and especially as we tackle uh, another of the really important themes in this book of Proverbs, which is family wisdom. Uh, wisdom for husbands and wives, wisdom for parents and children. Uh, I am really conscious, though, that we come to this topic from many unique circumstances. Uh, some of us are married, some of us are not. Uh, some of us have never married, some of us have experienced a broken marriage or remarriage. Uh, some of us have children, some of us don't. Uh, those of us who have children have children at a very wide range of ages and stages. Uh, all of us have been children and some of us are now caring up a generation as well as down. And all of these variations are really just to do with circumstance and situation. We haven't said anything yet about the way that we might all feel mentally and emotionally about these family relationships. And you put all that together and maybe our instinct is just to skip today's topic altogether and head for higher ground. Uh, but we're not going to do that because this topic is far too important. Uh, not least of all because in places like Australia, we all know that the institution of family is in reasonably serious trouble, having come under sustained attack really since the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. And God's word is here to give us the help that we need uh, family is a major topic in this book of Proverbs, as it is through the whole Bible. Uh, it's one of the clearest places where wisdom or folly will be put on display and observed practically. And that's not just something that's individual. Uh, family is not merely private and personal, it's open and public. It's the basic building block of human community. Where marriage and family are in decline, the common good of society is greatly imperiled. And that isn't just some quaint kind of Christian view on the world. Uh, some of you will know the magazine The Atlantic. It's one of the things I read every now and then. Back in 2018, The Atlantic launched a whole new section which would be devoted exclusively to articles on family. And here's how they explained their decision back in March 2018. 
When the Atlantic's founders created this magazine 161 years ago, the American family was not top of mind. The Atlantic, they wrote, would be devoted to literature, art, and politics. Uh, soon enough, though, the editors came to understand that the well-being of a nation, its culture, its economy, was tied up with the health and vitality of its families. To which I think Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, says a hearty amen. Uh, Fox reminded us last week that this book is not a self-help book, it's a kingdom help book. It's a book that builds and forms a particular type of community, a community that is anchored in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, a community which is characterized by the love and faithfulness that it has received, first of all, from God. And so we will grow stronger as a church, as our families grow in wisdom husbands and wives, parents and children. And that's something that all of us have a stake in. Uh, you can see on your outline uh, that we're going to look at both relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children. And as you read through all the different proverbs that touch on these topics, uh, you find very quickly that some of them are very positive and then there are also some words of warning. And so we're going to start with the positive view of marriage. Chapter 18, verse 22, on your outline and on the screen. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favour from the Lord. Uh, in some ways, uh, this is almost a bit like a comment on Genesis 2, isn't it? When God made the first man and established him, planted him in the garden, um, and then declared, actually, well, here is a thing that is not good for this man to be alone. And so he took from the man and he formed the woman to complement him and to complete him as his gloriously equal but wonderfully distinct helper and partner. And for that reason, we're told in Genesis 2 that a man takes the initiative to leave his father and mother and to cling to his wife. And so right from the beginning, marriage between one man and one woman is established as one of God's good and gracious gifts for humanity. It is the basis of family. It's the proper context for the raising of children. It's for the good ordering of society. It's for the sake of human flourishing. And therefore, Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favour from the Lord. Um, clearly, the sense is he who finds a good wife finds what is good. He who finds a wise wife, a prudent wife, a godly and disciplined wife. Uh, back in chapter 8, uh, we heard that the person who finds wisdom, the, the man who finds wisdom receives favour from the Lord. And so when you put these together, it's almost as if Solomon is saying that the person who finds, the man who finds the wise and godly wife, well, that's on par with finding wisdom. Now, does it matter that this proverb is so male-oriented? Uh, in other words, does it matter that it says, he who finds a wife and not she who finds a husband? Uh, are we free to generalise this out so that it's really just about the person who finds a spouse? 
Uh, in the first place, I think it helps if we remember the setting of the book, which is Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, teaching his son the way of wisdom. So this is a father, and sometimes a father and mother together, teaching their son how to live rightly in this world for their joy and their success, uh, increasingly conforming and, and reflecting God's character and ways. And so, of course, it talks about he who finds a wife rather than she who finds a husband because that's the only instruction that really makes sense when we remember the setting of the book and the biblical understanding of marriage. Uh, when it comes to our freedom uh, to generalise out of Proverbs so that what it says of a husband and his wife is equally true of a, a, a woman and her husband, I, I think that probably needs to be worked out on a case-by-case -case basis. Because although there are some aspects of marriage which are basically the same for husbands and wives, yet we also know there are other things taught in the Bible which are particular to husbands and particular to wives, and in an ideal world, they will neither be erased or interchanged. But I think uh, Proverbs 18.22 does work pretty well for both husbands and wives. Because uh, I think what Solomon's doing in this proverb is he's really pointing to the goodness of God's gift. Uh, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And he is pointing to God's generosity in giving it. That is a favour from the Lord. And I think those two truths work for husbands and their wives just as much as for wives and their husbands. A wise and godly husband or wife is a great gift from the Lord. And if any of us has experienced this, we ought to give God such humble thanks and praise for his kind provision to us. And we certainly ought to express our delight regularly to the husband or wife God has given us that they would know just how greatly they are treasured. So there's a, a positive view on uh, husbands and wives in Proverbs. What about some of the warnings? Well, uh, chapter 21, verse 9. Uh, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I, I think, in some ways, even our response, here is an example of where that male orientation of Proverbs actually is a little bit unsettling for us and can be a little bit uncomfortable for us. Uh, why is the warning only about the troublesome wife and not the troublesome husband? Let me say as clearly as I can that it is not because the Bible was written from such a perspective of male privilege that it imagines that problems in marriage come only from wives and never from husbands. As far as I can judge it, the Bible as a whole speaks with far greater frequency about the challenges and the threats and the difficulties faced by wives on account of their husbands than it does the other way around. Perhaps because of male laziness or because of male spiritual immaturity or because of male sexual unfaithfulness, or because of the abuse of male power and authority, or the misuse of male strength. 
And in a different talk on a different day, we could speak about all of those things. But today we're in Proverbs. And remember the setting of Proverbs is a father and sometimes a father and mother together teaching their son how to take up a life of wisdom and how to avoid the life of folly. And so just as it was right for him to be taught about the blessings of finding the godly and wise wife, so it is right for him to be warned against the troubles of a quarrelsome wife. And it's a very provocative image, isn't it? A home is meant to be a place of safety and comfort. It's the place we all return to after a long day of work and activity. It's the place we should rightly expect to find the good. But for the man with a quarrelsome wife, a contentious wife, a wife who is always finding fault in her husband and constantly picking at things, well, for the man in that situation, home is no place of refuge at all. In fact, it would be better for him to head outside and to endure the loneliness and the discomfort and all the exposure to the elements that comes from living on the corner of his roof than to share this house. At its best, uh, the Bible's picture of godly marriage is just the most beautiful thing. At, At its very best, we know from the New Testament that it is something which points to the relationship of sacrificial husbandly love and submitting wifely honour that is seen between Christ and his church at its best. But this marriage that is described here in Proverbs 21 verse 9, it is well and truly departed from the pattern that God envisaged. And so instead of being a blessing, it's a burden. Instead of being a place of life and love and laughter, it's just tension and toil and trouble. What should be done if we find ourselves in such a marriage? What should be be done if we find ourselves going through such a season of marriage? Doubtless, the first step is to be clear-eyed about the fact that the marriage is suffering. And that will be something to which inevitably both husband and wife are contributing. And therefore, to deal with that is going to call for a lot of gentle, careful, honest, maybe even painful at times, communication. Uh, Most likely, it will call for some humble repentance, maybe even a great deal of repentance. Uh, It will probably need the support and help of others, maybe a marriage counsellor. Certainly, trusted brothers and sisters here at church, people who can listen to you and pray with you and who can point you to God and to his word. Help you keep thinking through what love and faithfulness will look like in your particular situation. Uh, It is very important to say, though, that the solution to the problems of Proverbs 21 verse 9 is not simply for wives to stop quarrelling, to stop finding fault, to stop picking at things. Uh, For those who are husbands, perhaps the far more important thing to do is to stop and ask Are there things I am doing or not doing 
which means my wife is constantly quarrelling with me and repeatedly finding fault over and over again on the same issues. Uh, one of the most thought-provoking things I read in preparation for today uh, was an article called The Marriage Lesson That I Learned Too Late. And uh, the writer talks about how the things which can destroy love and marriage often disguise themselves as unimportant. Uh, he writes this. I spent most of my life believing that what ended marriages were behaviour I classify as major marriage crimes. Sexual affairs, physical abuse, gambling away the family savings. Uh, the reason my marriage fell apart seems absurd when I describe it. My wife left me because sometimes I leave dishes by the sink. Uh, we didn't go down in a fiery explosion. We bled out from 10,000 paper cuts. The marriage lesson he learned too late was that him leaving dishes by the sink and not listening to his wife's many requests for him to put them in the dishwasher was ultimately for her about his lack of consideration and the pervasive sense that she was married to someone who did not respect or appreciate her. Uh, in his words, what he learned was that something as benign and meaningless as a dirty glass could actually be a meaningful act of love and sacrifice. And so to the husbands among us, let me exhort you, make a time this week to ask your wife this question. Are there things I do or don't do, which you feel like you are constantly having to raise with me. That may not feel like a very safe question to ask. Uh, perhaps you'll feel quite vulnerable as you ask it. I did, as I asked Sarah during the week. I thought if I was going to ask the men here to do this, I needed to do it first. I won't share with you the results. but I think it's a good question to ask. And I think it's a question that will help build our marriages. And to the wives among us, if we ask, please tell us clearly how we can grow. Let us know how the things we do impact you. But please also tell us gently, with love and faithfulness. Well, there are two proverbs on husbands and wives. What does Proverbs say about parents and children? This time we'll flip it. We'll start with the warning. Chapter 17, verse 25. Uh, a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who bore him. You go back to chapters 1 to 9. We remember how carefully Solomon, how urgently, <clears throat> pardon me, he has sought to train his son in the way of wisdom, just how categorically he has tried to set up for his son the two different outcomes that will follow wisdom and folly. Well, of course, this is what it will be like for a father if his son chooses folly over wisdom. It will provoke him. It will vex him. It will be grievous to him to see his son squander all his precious teaching. Uh, and maybe we think back to Genesis 6 where the Lord saw just how great the wickedness of the human race had become and he was grieved that he had made human beings on the earth. But mothers carry this burden as well. 
The foolish son who forsakes her teaching causes her great bitterness, enormous pain. Uh, Just as we saw in Proverbs 21, there is a picture here of family life that is far from God's design. Uh, Children are supposed to listen to their parents. They are supposed to heed their instruction and, and parents are meant to teach their children, bringing them up in the training and instruction and fear of the Lord. And there are both positive and negative aspects to this teaching. Positively, we've seen from Solomon, there's training in the way of wisdom. Negatively, there's warning against the way of folly. And and scripture itself uh, teaches everyone who reads it, both positively and negatively, doesn't it? Teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, so that we can all be equipped thoroughly for every good work. And And so this is what it is like. And when family life doesn't unfold like this, it is damaging for everyone. It's damaging not just for the foolish son or the foolish daughter. It's also an enormous grief for their parents. And some of us here this morning have seen our children grow up and we know the kind of bitterness and grief of which Solomon speaks. Now, what to do if we think that's us? Well, to start, uh, we do what the, Proverbs, uh, what the book of Proverbs calls us everywhere to do, which is to come before the Lord with humble hearts, uh, reverent fear, to throw ourselves again on his love and faithfulness, to admit our failures, to ask for his help, to seek his mercy, both for ourselves and our children. And then we strive to pick up wherever we have left off in the training of our children. Because is it ever too late to speak to those in our family life-giving words of the gospel? By no means. Not in the love and faithfulness of God. We do this at any age and every age. And what a joyful outcome is set before us where God uses our efforts to train our children and produces in them the wisdom we have sought to impart. So Proverbs chapter 23, verses 24 and 5. The the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Uh, Just as we see elsewhere in Proverbs, the home is not just the setting for our biological relationships to be expressed, it's also the place where spirituality is to be formed and developed. In fact, for many of us, the raising of children will be the most significant activity by which we obey Jesus' command in the Great Commission to make disciples, people who trust and serve and love and obey the Lord Jesus. Now, ultimately, of course, that is for the sake of his honour and glory, that he might receive all the worship he is properly due. And it's for the sake of our children that they might grow up into the eternal life that God offers through Christ. But it is also an enormous joy to the parents of a wise son or daughter. Because, of course, if we ourselves have come to know the gospel of God's grace then nothing will give us greater joy than to see our children or our grandchildren 
If we broaden it out a little bit, our nieces and nephews, our godchildren, if we're godparents to someone, broaden it out even further. You think all the children and youth of NCA Church, nothing will give us greater joy than to see them choosing the path of wisdom, following the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith, living rightly in the world among God's people for their success and joy, increasingly reflecting God's character and ways. And so, of course, is there any greater prayer point that we have on behalf of our children? Is this not our constant plea when we come in prayer to the throne of God's grace, that God might grant to them and build in them that which only he can? As we get ready to finish, I'm conscious, uh, you know, this has been a, a heavy talk, very personal matters. It's really striking though, I think, we could do another couple of sermons on this. You step back and you consider the Lord Jesus through both of these topics. Uh, humanly speaking, he was unmarried. And yet spiritually, his wife is the church of God whom he loved and for whom he gave himself up to make her holy, cleansing her, by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And the gospel invitation is for all of us to be part of this church bought with the blood of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, humanly speaking, he had no descendants, but he is a son who greatly pleased his father. In fact, in the Gospels, there are two occasions where God the Father speaks publicly from heaven about his Son, and when he does, he uses the very language of joy and delight that we've heard in Proverbs. First, at Jesus' baptism, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then again, at the transfiguration, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. In fact, God's delight in his son was so great that he was pleased to bring about salvation through him. Which is simply another reminder that now for us, all this wisdom captured by Solomon, son of David, now bends unavoidably through the son of David who is greater and wiser than Solomon. No descendants, but many brothers and sisters that we too might become dearly loved children in the family of God. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do need your help in many, many ways, and especially we need your help for family. We know this is one of your great gifts to humanity, and we pray that we as your people who have come to know and to fear and to love and to serve your Son as Lord, our family lives are to change. And so we pray that you would help us more and more to reflect the patterns that you have established for our good and for your glory. And we pray that more and more as your family, spiritually, to one another in Christ, we might reflect love and faithfulness in all our ways. Amen.